you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke's Gospel and um, chapter 13. So Luke 13 and verse 10. Today we're going to look at a theme, Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And uh, we're going to look at the practicalities and the implications of the story as we look at this together. Happened over 2,000 years ago. But we believe, and I believe, that although this happened over 2,000 years ago, there are some things that we can learn to um, apply to our lives today, as relevant today as it was then. But we're going to look at what it meant then, and then we're going to look at how we can apply it now to our lives. So let's have a look at this story together. So it's Luke 13 and verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his, hand, his hands on her, either touched her shoulder or her head, and immediately... She straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water and lead it out to give it water then should not this woman a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her when he said this all his opponents were humiliated but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things that he was doing Okay, so we're going to look at this story together. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. This is a story of um, liberation and indignation. And so we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at the liberation of this lady, how she was set free from a terrible sickness. We're going to look at the indignation of the man, the synagogue ruler. He was furious. The word indignation doesn't really even cover how he was feeling. This guy was furious with Jesus. And then finally, third thing, and we'll close, we could look at some application. We'll apply some principles from this story, from this um, account. And so that's where we're going to go. And I hope that at the end of this morning, we'll be able to take some things that will help us continue to follow Jesus. Because we've been talking about this idea that a Christian is a person, is a Christ one. In other words, a Christian or a Christ one is a follower of Jesus Christ. And throughout Luke's gospel, Jesus says again and again, come and follow me, come and follow me. And he teaches on how you can follow him and know God. And so as Christians, this is what life's all about. It's about following Jesus. You don't follow your pastor. You don't follow your own traditions. We don't follow your church brand. We don't follow a brand. We don't follow this or follow that. There'll be many things in life that will call for us to follow and to do, but we're called to follow the Lord 
Jesus Christ. And so that's where we're the journey that we're on. And that's what we've been looking at. Uh, we're halfway through the Gospel of Luke. We've spent some time and we'll be spending some time looking at this idea of continuing to follow Jesus. So, okay. Liberation is the first uh, thing that I want to look at. In this story, we have a story where a lady is loosed, healed after 18 years of pain. She's healed after 18 years of pain. In the story, we're told that there was a lady, and you saw in the picture, I, f- I found a photo of um, how um, this lady was suffering from a, a back complaint. It says that she was bent over double, and she couldn't look up. In other words, her face was always facing towards the ground. You may, have, you may see some... Th- I've seen people in the street in our own country experience that. It, it appears that it, the, in, the, in the Bible there, it says that she had a, a spirit of infirmity, Uh, An evil spirit that kept her bent over double. And Jesus dealt with the spirit and cast a spirit off of this lady. A lot of Bible commentators say that what this lady had was, and what caused her to be bent over double like that, was a a condition of the spine, a curvature and a condition of the spine where um, the, the spine is curved and also begins to fuse together. And arthritis sets in into such a way that it begins to push the body forward. And so this would have been agonizing. This would have been, couldn't interact with people properly. I mean, I can't even enter into how this lady must have been feeling for 18 years. She couldn't look up. She couldn't look. Can you imagine? Couldn't look at anyone in the face. Was probably looking down at the ground for 18 years. Think of the, 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 the indignity of that. Think of the pain. I, I, well, I can't enter in. I don't know what it would be like. But that's what this lady was suffering with for 18 years. Couldn't interact with people properly. Couldn't look at people. Couldn't have eye contact. Suffered with her back terribly. The pain would have been excruciating. And we're told in the Bible, we're told in the story, Luke is a doctor. Luke is very interested in detail. And he says that she was bent over double with this complaint for 18 years. So it was, it was a, a horrible um, condition that she was experiencing. But you think to yourself, wow, what a woman. Here she is in the synagogue, as is her practice, her custom. The synagogue is a place of worship where the Jews went to worship God. Uh, at the time, it was a, a place where Jews congregated together, a bit like church, a church building where Christians, we're, here we are, we're assembled together to worship God. And the synagogue was a building, a place where men and women uh, and could assemble together to worship God. And that's the synagogue. It says it's very, the, uh, Luke's very interested. He said that Jesus was in the synagogue teaching, and he was, he caught the woman caught his eye. So this lady caught his eye in the synagogue, the place of worship. What an amazing lady. This lady, for 18 years, worshipping in that synagogue. And she came in. What a faithful, incredible worshipper against all the odds. Now not even being able to look up. She wouldn't have been able to look up and see the overhead. Oh, you can tell I'm back in the 80s. I mean the screen these days. <laughs> no, looking down at the ground. Not being able to look at another worshipper in the eye. Not being able to hear. Well, could hear, that's not quite, but not being able to see, as it were, what's going on faithfulness in worship and here she was um the synagogue the place of worship and it was on the sabbath the sabbath was a day of rest um interesting a bit of background to this it says it was on the sabbath and jesus was in the synagogue and this lady with this bent over double for 18 years appears 
And uh, so this idea of Sabbath, Sabbath uh, we find in the book of Genesis, it's a, a, on the seventh day it says in Genesis, God gave this time of rest. He did the creation and everything was good. And then he made his time of rest. The Sabbath was God's plan to give human beings a time to rest and reflect. It wasn't just to rest and go to B&Q. I'm not, I'm not making fun of people when I say that, by the way. Uh, you, know, you, you know, if you want to go to B&Q on a Sunday, that's up to you. And there's no value judgment in that. But I'm saying that the, the rest that God gives is a time to just rest from rushing around from the hustle and bustle of life and to then reflect on, as we are this morning, how great is our God. And the Sabbath was a time to give rest and to reflect and to worship and to think and meditate and think about God and reflect on God and honor God in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, And this lady um, was in that place on that day. It looks as if, therefore, she she was someone that was a worshiper going to the place to gather with others to reflect and honor and think on God in her life. And um, Jesus sees her and he has compassion on her now, you would think to yourself, oh, you know, what it's, well, you know what it's like if someone calls you out on a Sunday morning and says, well, would you just come forward and give a, a testimony here? All the eyes go on you. But Jesus wasn't calling her out to, to make a spectacle of her. Jesus was calling her out because uh, he noticed her bent over double, and his heart went out to her. And so he says to her, woman, you are healed. And then he reaches out and touches her, and then she straightens up immediately, and there's uproar in the house. There's uproar in the house. You know, Jesus has compassion. He calls her. He speaks life to her. Then he lays his hand upon her, either on her head or her back or her shoulder, wherever it was. And now in the East, I just want to just say something to you. Now, to you and I, in a Pentecostal type of church, we get used to somebody putting their their hand near your head or on your shoulder and asking if that's okay. It says in Mark's gospel, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It's a way of identifying with somebody. And we've got used to that today sort of thing in Pentecostal or charismatic type churches. But in the East, for a man... And he was a rabbi teacher. So he was a teacher. And um, you did not do this sort of thing. He, he broke all the conventions and the customs of the day. In doing this would have been... <gasps> wow! It would have been a bit like that. I mean, on me, it's a bit lost. But if you actually look back at the time, his, the convention, he not only spoke to her, and that would have been one thing, the rabbi, the teacher... But then he didn't have to because she was healed. As soon as he spoke, you are healed. But he identified with her and touched her life. It was his way of saying, mercy, I identify with you. I love you. You know, we have a picture here of God who isn't distant from human beings, but God is right where you are and where we are and wants to reach out to touch our lives. And this is what happens in this. It was amazing. And this... Lady, loved so much by God. You know, as human beings, we're loved so much by God. So much so that God so loves the world, it says he sent his one and only son. He touches our lives. And at Christmas, we really do celebrate and reflect a bit more on this idea of God coming as a babe, being amongst people, Jesus alive and amongst us. And so there is this amazing liberation. And this woman straightens up and immediately, it's bring the worship team back. 
and let's worship all over again. It was hallelujah. There was a riot in the place. And uh, there was this great freedom comes and visits this lady. But there was also, tinged with that, indignation. There wasn't just liberation. And this lady was worshipping and it was amazing. And people were thinking, wow! In the corner, the leader of the synagogue was furious. Fuming. You've heard that phrase, haven't you? I am fuming. Well, this man was steam rising. He would have been absolutely... The word there says indignation. Um, he, he, he was fuming. One translation, the NIV says he was indignant. Another translation says greatly vexed. There's an old word for you, isn't it? Uh, the message says he was furious. Lots of different translations, look at that. But uh, steam was coming out of his ears. Because Jesus, why was he furious? There was this lady bent over double, a great deed, a great thing, a great release. What a great day. God did something amazing, something good. But this man was furious, this religious man. I mean, he would have been a good man. Just because he was furious didn't mean to say, we all jumped to conclusions. He must have been a bad guy, bad boy, you bad dog. You're so bad. But he wasn't a bad boy. I'm not a pet lover. I haven't, got, I haven't got a pet or anything like that, so you can tell maybe. But um, I don't believe he was a bad boy. He was a religious man, but he was an angry man. So let's have a look to see why he was so angry. Because he was a leader of the synagogue. He wouldn't have been a bad person necessarily. He would have been a religious person. He would have been a believer. He would have believed in God, a true Jew. But he was furious. So let's have a little look and see what was behind his rising, his indignation. Um, so we see there, uh, this, this man, he, he's bound in his heart and bound in his mind. He's furious with Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. And uh, he's angry that Jesus has healed on the holy day. That's what he's angry at, this holy day of God. And uh, he broke every one of the traditions that was there. So he tells the people off. He doesn't look at Jesus. Isn't this interesting? He doesn't look at Jesus and say, oh, Jesus, what you've done is wrong. He looks at all of you and will be saying to you, aren't there six days enough for you to come and get healed? Come on those days. But what about the Sabbath? Is, the Sabbath is the day of rest. And you've healed and you've done work. And he was telling off the people. So he turned to the people, not to Jesus, which I think is a rather odd thing to do. But that's exactly what he did. Um, And begins to teach the people. So he tells the people off. Now there's a tradition. Now we need to find out something because there's a tradition behind the teaching. And if we find out the tradition behind his teaching, we'll find out why he was so furious. And then we'll look at applying something to our own lives in a moment or two. The tradition is this. You see, what the religious leaders of the day had done is they'd taken the law. The law was inspired by God. It's what they call, the Jews called the Torah. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Pentateuch. That's called the law. And the law was believed to be from God, inspired by God. It's called the Torah. That first bit of the Bible, we have it today in our Bibles in that order. And um, the leaders of the day, the rabbis of the day, had taken the Torah, the law, 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the commands that God had given life. And then they'd written commentaries on the law. In other words, how we apply that law to our lives. It's called the Talmud. Over the years, it got brought together in a big, big stack of books. Great big doorstop. I tell you what, a big doorstop stack of books. And these commentaries on the Torah, on the law, were, became known as the Talmud. And as the years went by, the centuries went by, something happened. The Torah that was held as the inspired word of God, and you see my hand high there, began to find that the Talmud, the teachings, the other laws and other teachings and understandings about the law began to rise and they were taken in almost parallel in authority. And so what we have at this time is a teacher of the synagogue applying the teachings of the, not just the law, because Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law, but elevating the teachings of the Talmud, the teachings about the law. Put it like this. Look, God is a father in heaven. And he gives us the law, shall not steal, shall not kill, the Old Testament. And um, it's not because he's a bad boy and he wants to just beat us down in life. So he's going to give us all these things that you can't do. But we read, we need to know in the New Testament, the full revelation is God is a good father, not a bad boy. Good father. And I don't know about you, but when my children were little... I made sure they stayed in the garden where the hedge was and I kept my gate closed so that they didn't run out onto the road. And so the initial law, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, was the garden hedge, the gate. And God said to his children, you've got the whole world, live in it. Then what happened was all these leaders came along, men, and they began to make other hedges within the one big hedge. They thought to themselves, well, we need to interpret the law, the day of rest, and we're now going to have that you don't, you don't heal on a Sunday. Do you know why you didn't heal on, a, on, the, on the Saturday, the Sabbath? Because they believed it was work. You had to, you, it was your profession as a healer or a doctor. So if you did a healing, even if it was a miraculous healing, it was a profession. It's in the Talmud. And so they make another little fence by... But it's not God's fence. It wasn't the one that God put there. They put another one inside. And, so, and they had hundreds of these little fences that were made by human beings. Other laws that were added, other traditions, put it that way. We would say they are traditions. And so when the synagogue ruler stood up, forgive me for taking a bit of time, but this is why he was fuming. Because Jesus disregarded the traditions of men and all the legal requirements, but came to fulfill the law of God. He fulfilled it. Didn't abolish it. Jesus said, I fulfilled it all. But the, and this is why, always on the Sabbath, they got angry, because he showed up men for the traditions, their religiosity. It's a bit like saying, well, in our church, we don't do it like that. We do it like this. Or in our church, the organ goes there, and it doesn't move. Even if it's not played anymore. It's, it, I mean, I know I'm being a bit silly, but it's a tradition. Not all traditions are bad, and I'm not knocking tradition. There's good traditions. So having the Lord's Supper is good. Yeah, they are good. So I'm not knocking everything, but we'll come to that in a moment. So this is what had happened, basically. This teacher 
was teaching, because all the Jews taught that to heal on the Saturday, the Sabbath, which is their day of rest, Saturday was their day of rest, Sunday hours because Jesus rose on that day. To heal on that day would have meant you'd been acting like a doctor, and a doctor was a job, and it was your job. You did work. That was their reasoning. That was in the Talmud. But God never taught that. God never said that. God never said that. God never said that in the beginning. And so that man, this man was furious, therefore. He was furious because Jesus hadn't done the things that the Talmud had taught, the little religious laws, the extra laws. So Father God puts a fence of protection around us, but man comes and feels he needs to add extra fences, in other words, other traditions. And that's the danger when we get religious and we add loads of other traditions that just weren't from God in the first place. What they do is they just take up the, the space that God says, go and live, enjoy the world. It just gives us less and less space to live our lives. So by the Sabbath, the people of the day had no room to maneuver, as it were, because they were encroached upon by all these traditions and laws. So they basically had to come in, sit down, and couldn't even sniff, hardly. Sneeze, I meant. Okay, so, application. So there was this man. He was absolutely fuming. It was a day of liberation. The lady is set free. What a rejoice. What a great day. It was a day where a man gets furious, indignation. But let's look at some application. With this, we will look to apply some things and um, conclude. So what? Uh, so, so just before I just come to that, just a second. So Jesus says to the man, and this is the this is the crazy nature of man-made traditions, right? You don't see the good, you don't see the grace of God when traditions get in the way of God. What they get in the way of God, and so what Jesus says to this man is, "You hypocrite! You see, there was a law. It's in the Talmud again, right? And it was this: if you saw a donkey or an animal." that was thirsty, as long as, and it was tied up, as long as you didn't, it didn't carry a burden, you could untie it and take it to, to get some water. You see, to untie an animal, and if it was a, bur- a beast of, uh, of burden, would be classed as work. But in the Talmud, they had this tradition that said, well, if it needs water, as long as you don't use it to carry anything, you're not doing work, although you are untying it and leading it and walking with it, right? But that's not work. It's in the Talmud. It was there, another tradition. Oh, isn't that quite convenient? And so Jesus then said, you hypocrites, it's okay for you to say, I'll untie an animal and take it to water, but this woman can't be untied, loosed, and freed. With that, everybody looked at Jesus and thought, do you know what? He's right. And everyone looked at the leader of the synagogue and thought, do you know what? He's wrong. And this is why on that day, when Jesus showed up the religious, those bound by traditions, the traditions became bigger than God. Bigger than God. Bigger than God on that day. And so Jesus showed up that tradition then. So, as we apply it then, so a couple of things that we can say uh, as we look at this, this story of uh, liberation and indignation. There's two things. We can learn from the liberty of the lady but we also can learn from something of the indignation 
of the synagogue leader. And uh, with that, we'll look at a couple of things. So first of all, it's this. Um, With this lady, um, we can be inspired by her faithful worship. What a woman. What a woman. 18 years. 18 years, bent over double, looking at the ground, not being able to look up and see anything or look at anyone like I'm looking at you now. Not even being able to look towards heaven, as it were, to worship when they would lift their hands to heaven and face the living God. Looking down at the dust, most of her, a good part of her life. What a woman. It says she was in the synagogue. So she would have been probably, most Bible commentators say, a person that was faithful, worshipping. And there's something we can learn from um, this lady is 18 years of faithful, painful worship. She would have been in pain, and yet this faithful worship. I don't know about where you are this morning, but no, she was finally set free. But maybe this morning, life isn't going perhaps the way you hope it to go. I want you to be encouraged that, you know, Maybe, you know, physically, you, you, you're perhaps like you can identify with this lady. You feel pain. Maybe there's things going on in your family or your home or your life. Maybe there's things in work. Maybe there's things in our finances. Maybe there's things in our relationships. I don't know what it might be. But you feel this seems to be going on and on and on. I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. Be encouraged because this lady felt just like that, I don't doubt. I don't believe I'm putting words into what she would have said. I wouldn't doubt that she would have felt like that. But for 18 years, faithfully worshipping God. There's something powerful about being planted, rooted in Christ. I come to understand the power. I've spoken on this a lot in the life of our church just lately. About being planted in the house of the Lord. In Psalm 92, verses 12 to 13, it says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. You see, this lady was planted. She was going to follow Jesus. She trusted him when she couldn't even, not not Jesus, but following God. She was a Jew, so she'd been following God, a good God-fearer. But she was following God when she, she was trusting God when she couldn't trace God. We had somebody come and speak in our church not long ago who said, challenged us in faith, said, can you trust God when you can't trace him? when you don't see him in your life. This lady for 18 years perhaps didn't feel or see God at times, but she was trusting. She was faithful. She was worshipping. There's something really powerful about being planted. She didn't say, oh, that's it. I bet she felt like it. Oh, there's been times in my life where I felt like saying, oh, God, are you really there? I've had enough of this. Perhaps you felt like it in church life. I've had enough. I don't see anything happening. God doesn't do anything. But she was planted. There's a power It's in Psalm 92. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. See, a palm tree is blown in a storm, in a tropical storm, to the point that it could break. But when the storm passes, the palm tree comes back and flourishes and gives its fruit. That's what it means to be rooted in God, to hold on to him in faith, to continue to worship. Even when we can't see certain things happen, it's a challenge, isn't it? But we learn from the challenge of this lady. Now, the amazing thing is, she was healed after 18 years. The righteous will flourish. You know, there comes a point in our lives when we trust God, follow God, continuing God. We don't hide our heads in the sand and say, oh, well, God's not there. We say, I am in pain. It is difficult. It is a challenge. But I'm going to trust you when I can't trace you. That's what faith is about. I'm going to continue to worship you, and I don't feel like it. Isn't it interesting in the song that we sang? It says... Um, 
Come with me, it says, and our, how great is our God. Let's join together. The, the injunction of the song is to encourage one another. When we don't feel like it, we say, we'll stand with you. Inspired. I am inspired by the faith of the woman. Absolutely in awe. And I am inspired to be planted in the house of God, planted in the local church, planted and rooted in Jesus Christ, trusting him when I don't see it. And uh, that's what this lady was like. We're in, I'm inspired, secondly, by the compassion of Jesus. Second thing that we can see there and apply to our lives is not only inspired by her faith and we be faithful worshippers, trusting Jesus with our hearts and lives today, but I'm inspired by Jesus' compassion. It says he reached out and touched her. You know, God isn't distant, and this is the good news. Our God isn't far away. He's not a God who is just to be obeyed and is now in the distant galaxies, but he's a God who is here. God is here. God is here. The term Emmanuel means God with us, amongst us. At Christmas time, everybody loves to speak about Jesus the babe, Emmanuel, God amongst us, God with us, God rubbing shoulders with us. That's what it literally means. And Jesus reached out in love. There's love in his eyes and love in his heart. And on that day, he's ruled by love and heart and grace. And he reaches out and he touches this lady and heals her. In India, there's a cast of people called untouchables. I mean, is that a terrible thing? No one touches them. You don't shake hands with them because they are classed as filth. India is a secular nation. It shouldn't have a caste system, but it still has. One of the most amazing things is to be able to just pray. And when I was in India, the thing that really spoke to me was, Jesus is with us. Jesus touches our lives. Touches you. Touches you. I was, it's awesome seeing untouchables responding to the touch of Jesus. It's great. It wasn't lost on me to think that I was an untouchable because of my sin. Because Adrian Mancini walked away from God. And yet Jesus put his hands upon my life and gave his life for me. It's amazing. And so Jesus reached out to this lady. It's love. And um, I want to encourage you this morning that God loves you. There's nothing that you can do that he cannot love you. But, and this is the but, God calls us to repent of our sins. There's no sin that can, whereby we can be hidden from the love of God. There's neither height nor depth, life nor death, no demon, no power, nothing that can stop the love of God. There's nothing but one thing, sin. Sin separates us. And so we're called to repent. And this woman, Jesus, reached out and touched her. Do you know what? God touches our lives. Be encouraged this morning if you think that you're in too deep a pit. You've done too bad a thing. Your prayers haven't been answered. Be encouraged that this same Jesus lives today and the same Jesus will reach out and touch you just as he did then. He does it now because he's alive forevermore. I'm not special. You're not special. We're all special. We're all special. I was speaking to somebody, and, and uh, I, I don't know who it was now. I speak to so many people across the week, and this person was telling me a story about how, um, uh, forgive me if it, if it was you who was talking to me, and you think, well, you forgot my story. But um, so we were talking about uh, going to see the butcher, and the butcher saying, you're my special... Co-. I know who it was now. I've just remembered. It was Phil. We were talking, weren't we, Phil? And uh, going to see the butcher, and the butcher, the local butcher saying, oh, you're my special customer, you. And Phil was saying, I think everybody in the village is this butcher's special customer. We are all special. 
with Jesus Christ. Honestly, it's true. I, feel, I do feel that I loved. And the more I read the word of God today, the more I feel loved, the more I feel liberated in uh, these things in this day. So be encouraged that God loves you and he wants to reach out to you. The only call in our lives is to be repentant and just come to him. And it may be a long time and it might be long in coming, but be encouraged by what happened on this like this lady's life that day. It can happen for you. It's just as relevant today. Be encouraged. Um, uh, what, what I want to say as well is uh, we can learn from the indignation of this man. We can learn from the liberty of the lady. And finally, with the next, just the next few moments, the indignation of this man. I want to ask you the question, are you captured by tradition or a cause rather than consumed by Christ? Bit of a mouthful, I know to think about near the end as we're feeling a bit warm and we're about to finish in a few moments. And you're thinking, right, we're going to finish in a minute. Are you captured um, by a tradition or a cause more than being consumed by Christ? What I mean is this. The man had his traditions. They were the traditions over the years. I heard it said, I read one person said, tradition is the clock that tells us yesterday's time. I tell you what, when I read that, that was not lost on me. Certain traditions, where traditions get in the way of Jesus, the person. So some traditions are good. Not all traditions are bad. But where these things get in the way. And so the tradition of the Talmud had got in the way of Jesus touching a lady so that she could be free. Because God's heart is love. Jesus was saying, God's heart is love, and you're following all these other picket fences. You've made all these other fences, and God's not put them there. Traditions can act like fences. Don't sit in those seats. They're reserved for the um, elders, or or whatever it used to be. They used to be on the stage in the old days, didn't they? And everyone knew you couldn't sit on them, and they were dusted with awe, as it were. Or, I mean, I know I'm being silly, but, but that's what it can be like. And don't think the traditions... For the Baptist Church, or the Anglican Church, or any other church. Because there's Pentecostal traditions, more so in some ways. We have revival traditions. And some of, the, some of these things can stand in the way more than Jesus. Oh, anything that stands in the way of Jesus is dangerous for our health. That's what, that's what I'd say. And uh, so the traditions had got in the way. Uh, and, but I would say, what is today's time? What's God saying today? Any tradition that is yesterday's clock, telling, yester- uh, telling yesterday's time, as it were, what about the day? What about tomorrow? What's Jesus saying now? See, this man's tradition stopped in seeing what Jesus was doing then. Oh, the Holy Spirit can't work like that. And Pentecostals, Charismatics, we, we, we're worse He's got to work like this, and he's got to do that. How dangerous are our traditions, folks? Not all traditions are bad. Don't get me wrong. But where they get in the way of Jesus and what he wants to do, half of church splits and disagreements with people, it's because we get on our high horse or we put up a fence. Um, you know, he, he, he had his cause, as it were, his tradition had become his cause now. He's going to fight his corner. That's where it becomes a cause. He was going to fight his corner. It became a cause. And uh, this cause was greater than Christ. The cause of the, his traditions had become so big that he just didn't recognize what God was doing. That's how dangerous it can be when certain traditions, you fight them and they become your cause. 
Be careful on making certain things your cause. It's not wrong to have a cause. Can I just say, it doesn't mean to say you have to walk around in life not looking at anything, not getting passionate about some things. A cause is good. So hear my heart on this. It's good to have a cause, but any cause that takes the place of Jesus is dangerous for your health. So, so some people say, my ministry, my ministry, it's become my tradition, my cause. And, and people can, can, can think more of their own Christian ministry than Jesus Christ themselves. It can become a, our personal cause. It, it diminishes Jesus. Anything that diminishes Jesus. It's not wrong to have passion, not wrong to have a ministry, it's not wrong to have a desire, but anything. And so for this man, his traditions that he was holding on to had become his cause. And he became angry. When you have a cause and Jesus is, we miss Jesus, we miss the grace of Jesus, we become angry. How dare you say that to me? How dare you tell me that? How dare you take that away from me? How dare you do this? That's, and this man was fuming. Oh, I said that with relish, didn't I? That's terrible. But our cause is Christ. When we follow Jesus Christ with passion, he will give us many a cause. It's not that we have the cause first, but we have Christ first. And when we live for Christ and have the heart of Christ, there will be many things that he will do. Many ministries that he will release us in. But when these things take the place of Jesus, we get to a place where we don't see Jesus in things. And it can happen to any Christian, any religious person like this man. How do you know How do you know the signs where the cause is becoming greater than Christ? Let me just tell you a couple of things. We become angry, critical, self-righteous, proud, haughty. That's how you can tell when your tradition or your cause is becoming greater than Jesus. You become, I become angry, critical, self-righteous, proud, In other words, haughty. In other words, I'm right, you're wrong. How dare you? I'm right, you're wrong. I don't see anyone else's point of view. I don't see Jesus' point of view. I only see my point of view. That's how dangerous the tradition cause critic we, 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 we descend. And that's how you can tell. That's the litmus test for me and for you. And anyone can fall into that You know, we tell others with a sting in our speech. Did you notice that the man said to everyone else, didn't go and talk to Jesus? Isn't that interesting? We go and tell the world, I've got a cause. You're all wrong. I'm right. Rather than go to Jesus and say, I don't agree with what you've done. Can we talk about it? That's what he should have done. That would have been the right heart. Let's talk about it. I don't agree with what you've done. Can we talk about it? We can all learn, and I think I can learn. Um... It says in Ephesians 4, 26, in your anger, do not sin. Ephesians 4 and 15, speak the truth in love. It's not wrong to challenge. It's not wrong to have a cause. It's not wrong. These things aren't wrong. But it's dangerous when our cause is elevated and we don't see the grace of Jesus. We just don't see Jesus working in anything, anywhere, anytime. So let's be inspired by this lady's faith and be planted in the house and be planted in the word of God and faithful. Let's be inspired in, in awe of Jesus' love and compassion because it's towards every single one. We are all special this morning. And let's not fall into the trap of the Pharisee because there's a Pharisee in me. Let me tell you, 
There is a Pharisee in Adrian Mancini and in you and in all of us because of human nature. So we've got to deal, and we've been speaking about this, dealing with the Pharisee phony in me. And that's all that I'm saying this morning. That's what we learn from this passage. Let's determine to live free and follow Jesus. Let's determine to live free and follow Jesus and see Jesus in all things. Okay, let's pray. Bless you, folks. Thank you for your attention. So this morning, Lord, we are in awe of your great compassion and mercy, how you healed this lady. We rejoice that Jesus is alive. We rejoice that this lady's faith, planted in the house, rooted in the word, continue to worship and love you. You, she, you, you said they'd be like a palm that will be fruitful. And I, we thank you that on that day you healed her life. And so too with us. You reach out to us in our faithfulness, when we are faithful, when we're worshipful, even when it's a challenge in our hearts and lives and we're concerned and worried, you, it says, we shall be fruitful. And so we reach out to you. We thank you that you are merciful. You're a God of great love. And you reached out and touched that lady and healed her. Likewise, you reach out to me. If you did it for her, you can do it for me in no respect of persons. And that man, we don't look at him and say, look at him. Look at how bad he was. We just look at our lives. He was probably been a good man, a leader of that place, a religious man. But he fell, he fell uh, for the, uh, the cause became greater than Christ. So, Lord, may you be great in my life. Pray that we will be able to see you. Deal with me, I pray, Jesus, in my own heart. As I bring my life to you, I say, Lord, with humility, with hope, I bring my life and heart to you and say that I ask your forgiveness, Jesus, for the Pharisee that's in me at times, that I might be free to follow you with my whole heart. I'm going to look at you, Jesus. I'm going to see you and follow you with my life. In your mighty name I pray. Amen.